0: And you were right about one thing though, dad. She is a hootie tooty disco cutie. 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 Welcome to the Hollywood and Toto podcast. The right take on entertainment. The Hit Cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto.
1: Welcome to episode 138 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week we're talking with Justin Folk, the director of the excellent new docudrama, No Safe Spaces. The war for free speech is underway, and this film may be the culture's best chance to preserving an essential all-American right. I'm not exaggerating. You know, this week I wanted to start the show on an optimistic note. Lots of doom and gloom in the headlines. Let's say something a little bit more uplifting. This week I attended a stand-up comedian's performance slash panel discussion. It was hosted by the great Lou Perez of We the Internet TV. He's a previous hit show guest and a wonderful comic. He's the kind of guy that tells jokes to the left, to the right, to the middle. Very funny stuff. Check out We the Internet TV on YouTube. End of plug. Now, his event was called The Funny Thing About Hate Speech, and it offered some really great insights into the First Amendment, and a lot of discussions we're having right now about speech. Now, the ensuing Q&A didn't get contentious. People laughed. They asked some tough but interesting uh, questions, then the event wrapped and people had a beer or two, together. Not so bad, right? Not so hard, either. On another Kumbaya-like note, I conducted a new Critic versus Critic piece at HollywoodIntoto.com. It's all about the movie No Safe Spaces, which we'll be discussing more in a little while. Now, I read a few scathing reviews of the film, from some obviously very left-of-center critics, I shook my head and I kind of dismissed them. I mean, I get where they're coming from. They're not really kind of ready to engage this material head on, and they don't seem to mind that people right of center are being discriminated against. Plain and simple. But I read one critic's review. His name is Mike McGranahan, and his take on no safe spaces kind of bugged me, I have to say. He wasn't a hack at all, but I think he really missed the point of the movie and the overall conversation we're having about free speech on college campuses and off. So rather than getting angry or sending a surly uh, tweet or something like that, I reached out to him. I said, hey, do you want to do a critic versus critic for my site? And you can publish it on your site as well. We'll do it via email, go back and forth until we've kind of both had our say. Well, he agreed. We did just that. And now that particular story is on his site, ilc.com, and also at, of course, hollywoodintoto.com. Now, I think we both made some good points in the conversation and we definitely didn't name-call each other or let the things get out of hand. You see? It is possible. It just happens to be getting more and more in common these days. It kind of reminded me a little bit of what happened on The View this week. Donald Trump Jr. visited the show and all heck broke loose. Well, who saw that coming? Everyone. And some really funny things emerged, and I broke them down a little bit on my website as well. But I think one of the key lessons here is that, hey, kudos to Team View. They had Donald Trump Jr. on in the first place. They could have easily ignored him, pushed him aside, but they let him air his views and his arguments. Did he get the better of them, or did the the host get the better of the son of Donald Trump? Well, you can decide that. But that's what I like. We need more outreach, not less and even when it's as flawed as one of Joy Behar's completely unhedged arguments. You see? I didn't even call her a bad name. This episode is sponsored by Schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And now here's the hit tweet of the week. This week's winner is Rob Schneider. The SNL alum and star of Real Rob on Netflix weighed in on Election Day. And I suspect his thoughts will ring shockingly true to other people who happen to live in the Golden State. Here we go. Living in California is like being in an abusive relationship. You keep giving her money, but you don't know where it's going. If you get sick, you have to take care of yourself. And any day you could come home and your house is on fire or filled with homeless people. Is he right? Bingo.
2: Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast.
1: This week's hit tip of the week is the 24-hour war. Podcaster Adam Carolla co-directed this fascinating look at the battle between Ford versus Ferrari in the 1960s, and if that name sounds a little familiar, well, there's a movie coming out November 15th, Ford versus Ferrari, starring a couple people you may know. Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Now, Corolla's film is a documentary, not a narrative feature like that particular movie. And it's not going to be in the discussion of the Oscars, although I think the Bale performance here in this film is so good, it just might be, maybe even some more Oscar nominations too. But the Corolla documentary, The 24-Hour War, is more clinical, more revealing of the battle that was happening at the time. It was all over the bragging rights for Le Mans, France's signature road race. Now, I got to say, I am not a car guy at all. Adam Carolla is the ultimate car guy. I am the complete opposite. But The 24-Hour War really hooked me early on and never let me go. It's the attention to detail that matters in this film. They really dig up some great information and it makes the human element of the story pop all the more in an impressive fashion. Now, I wish I could say that The 24-Hour War was streaming on Netflix or Amazon Prime. It isn't. It was for a while on Amazon. It's not available now, but... If you want to see Ford versus Ferrari, if you are just kind of curious about the real story without all the bells and whistles of a Hollywood drama, I really recommend you check it out any way you can. And in our streaming age, it's just available in a few clicks and maybe a couple of bucks out of your pocket.
0: Political Spirits, the weekly conservative podcast that says the left and right should have a few drinks and talk the only podcast that intersperses commentary with the sound of pouring alcohol. Host Franklin Rye, an experienced governmental affairs professional, offers analysis, commentary, and conservative solutions mixed in with amusing anecdotes about the sausage-making process. Ever wonder how democracy is like a Chevy Suburban? Did the Beatles really write conservative songs? How a Democrat politician is like the Archillians in Men in Black. Add to that occasional historical episodes with a patriotic bent, Kept at 30 minutes or less, perfect for a commute. And you have a podcast recipe to serve conservatives, political news and opinion junkies, and those who just wonder how on earth we reach the point where so many in our country think patriotism is a dirty word. Please join us at Political Spirits. That's politicalspirits.libsyn.com or on Twitter at Franklin Rye.
1: There's a really good reason I've been covering no safe spaces a lot, both on this podcast and at HollywoodIntoto.com. The movie matters. It's important. We should be talking about this. And so far, the box office receipts have been reflecting that. Doing very well in limited release, and each week it's opening up in more and more theaters. This weekend, you'll get to see it across the country in select locations. Next weekend, November 15th, it should be much, much wider. So you're going to get a chance to see it, and we definitely want to talk about it. And that's why I invited the film's director, Justin Folk, on the show. Now Justin actually worked in the FX arena for a while before making his documentary debut with No Safe Spaces. And it's funny, you can tell that. This movie looks good. Now, I've seen a lot of right-of-center documentaries that are a little bit rough around the edges. You can tell the budget's very threadbare, and it shows. Well, not here. This one's really beautiful to look at, good production values, but that's not really the point. We're fighting for the soul of the First Amendment in America right now. Not an exaggeration. And I don't know if we're going to be declaring victory anytime soon, if we will at all. It's a really tough fight. And this movie is working on the good side of the aisle. Trust me. Now, No Safe Spaces addresses all these issues and it lets Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager guide us through the problems, kind of like a comedian and a podcaster and a radio show mainstay, kind of just making sure that we understand the nooks and crannies of the conversation. It's a very good documentary, and Justin really breaks it down in interesting ways in this conversation. Here's my chat with No Safe Spaces director, Justin Folk. Well, Justin, you've got some pretty serious credentials in the visual effects arena, and I want to obviously get to No Safe Spaces, but let's real quickly start there. I was going to curious how you ended up in that part of show business, and then we can get to your transition to uh, the new documentary.
2: Well, I graduated from film school, and after I went to school, uh, I, I just started working in the film business, film industry, and I did a, a, a bunch of different jobs. I, I worked on set on a number of shows. Uh, eventually, I just moved into post production and visual effects, mostly because you're usually working in a air conditioned environment and it was just uh, better hours. But um, now I, I worked in uh, a number of films and I worked for a, a a visual effects company for a while that did some really high-end movies and it was just a good experience um, after a while though I really want to do my own content and so I left that world and started my own production company gotcha
1: now uh, were, so you were kind of interested in directing all along and then when no safe spaces happens was that sort of a happy accident that you were able to kind of go in that direction
2: yeah I've, I've always uh, loved directing my production company we do a lot of commercial work and so a lot of my experience has been doing telling, you know, 30 second stories instead of an hour and a half format, but, uh, I've done a lot of videos, a lot of, uh, commercials. And I think that's what sort of prepared me to do a full length feature film. Um, it was a great opportunity. Really wanted to do something long form, really want to do something of importance, something, um, that would hopefully affect the culture and no safe spaces is, is the product of, of all that work. The movie looks good. And obviously, we're not looking at a millions and millions of dollar budget. It's a smaller budget.
1: Do you think that maybe your work in the past helped kind of prepare you to to make a movie that looks sort of bigger and bolder than it actually is, at least from a financial point of view?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, Humbly, I I would say yes. (laughs) I would say um, we were able to do a lot with very little. Um, The movie did not have a big budget. Thankfully, uh, we we crowdfunded we crowdfunded this campaign or crowdfunded the movie, and so um, by people giving us small donations, we were able to finance the film. But we still didn't have a lot to work with in comparison to what you would have on a bigger movie. and And really, our goal was to make something that was very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people don't typically shell out fifteen, sixteen bucks to go see documentaries at the theater when it's just a bunch of talking heads. So we knew we had to up the game up a little bit and really make something that was cinematic, and that's why we have the reenactments, we have the animation, we have different things in the film that really make it feel more like a cinematic experience. But we did, we were able to do uh, quite quite a lot with um, very little budget-wise, and and part of that is my experience, but really a, a lot of that is my team. I just have a wonderful team that I work with, a lot of really great guys that I collaborate with. Um, the cinematographers um, are, are great. Anton Anton Sim uh Brandon Lapard and um a couple of the guys a lot of guys that we worked with are just very talented guys that work in the industry and we were just able to tap into their talent
1: when you approach this particular film i'm going to guess you are aware to a certain extent of what was happening on college campuses was it eye opening once you kind of dug in deeper and met the students and did the research
2: and said oh my goodness
1: well, just describe that journey for you. Or were you already on
2: board and knew how bad it was? Well, it's interesting when you're standing kind of afar, when when you're outside of it, you it all kind of sounds like a fairy tale, like a bad, a bad, um, bad fairy tale. And when you actually go to these campuses and talk to these students, um, it all becomes a little bit more real and and just kind of darker and and and, and more sad. Um, now it was interesting like talking to a lot of students it did really give us some reason to hope because we really met a lot of great students along the way that were pushing back against this this uh, crazy uh, oppression of speech that's happening on campuses and so that did give us some reason to hope there's just some bright kids out there that are that are I guess call them the resistance but the, they they're they're bright they're 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 fighters and i think in investigating this story we were able to come away with um you know, it wasn't a total nightmare. It wasn't just a horror story all the way through. There was some reason to hope. I think when you look at the what's captured in the film, you could point to
1: this example or that example and say, oh my gosh, that really jumps out at me. But for you personally, is there something in the film and an example you can just briefly describe and say that above all else shows you what the problem is?
2: Well, we have a sequence in our film that that showcases or that shows what happened at Evergreen State College up in Olympia, Washington. And when we, went, uh, when we did our research on this, we really thought that this one example kind of was um, a good example of, of everything that's happening on all these other campuses. Uh, we interviewed a professor there by the name of Brett Weinstein, and um, he ran into trouble Uh, up there. There was a big protest and he actually describes what happened to him as a, he's a biology professor. He actually describes it as uh, a case specimen um, uh, for what's going on at large around the country. So we really felt like the evergreen story, if we told that well, it could sort of represent all these other stories because there's no way that we could touch on every single story. This stuff is happening all over the place. And so we just felt like we really needed to focus in on a story like evergreen to really show what's going on, a little bit about what's behind it, and really just how destructive it is. Mm
1: -hmm. We, uh, you know, there's there's so, there are fewer and fewer things in our culture where we can all unite. And I thought naively at first that this was an issue, free speech, free expression, where we can kind of have that unification. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. But your film does have Van Jones and Cornel West and Alan Dershowitz, people of the left who are very vocal. I thought Van Jones was maybe the most eloquent voice in the whole movie. Were there other people that you tried to kind of connect with for the movie that turned you down? or I was kind of curious, from a behind-the-scenes perspective, were you unsuccessful reaching out to other people who are on the left as well?
2: Yes. The answer to that is yes. Um, there was, in particular, the one interview that I really wanted to, Uh, the person I really wanted to talk to was the president of Northwestern. Um, You know, it's a big, you know, Big Ten school. And he had written um, an op-ed and has been very outspoken in defense of safe spaces. And I just thought that was interesting, you know, with all this stuff going on. And um, he was a very much a proponent of safe spaces and, and sort of that whole mentality. So we really wanted to get him in the film to provide a counter argument um, it was very difficult finding counter-arguments. It's funny, uh, you know, when you bring up when, when when the topic is freedom, uh, when the topic is freedom of speech, people tend to just close their close their mouths. It's very odd and ironic. But the president of Northwestern is the guy we we reached out to and really wanted to talk to him, and and uh, we just we didn't get anywhere with it. And We pursued several times to try to talk to him. He ultimately is in the film because he did talk to Katie Couric on her show, and so we just used a clip from that. But it would have been nice to have somebody, actually, I guess, um, make the defense for for safe spaces and sort of this this mentality that you need to be protected from ideas on a campus. Um, but uh, ultimately, yeah, there was there was others as well that we tried to contact people we wanted to talk to, but but uh, were uh, turned down. Um, but uh, but you're right, uh, guys. Like- like van jones I, I agree with you i think he is one of the mo- more eloquent voices in film i think he actually makes the strongest argument against uh some of this stuff so um we were ultimately able to find um some really good people to talk to um but you know like anything when you're doing a documentary when you're doing a film and you're trying to find your story you're out there trying to um get interviews with people some work out some don't and it kind of steers you um in, in a direction and and um, you know, ultimately, you you uncover your story as you go along.
1: Yeah, you know, you're working with Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager, two very different people, two very strong personalities. I think they each have their unique strengths. Can you maybe share an example of how one or, or both of them made the movie different, better, something that they brought to the project that maybe you didn't expect or didn't see on paper at first?
2: Yeah, I mean, they're a great one-two punch, and the the amazing thing is, I mean, they have a really great friendship. These these two guys, they really like each other. Um, they make each other laugh. They're both, they're both, um, excuse me. They're both super insightful. They just, um, they work well together and they play off each other. Um, I guess I'll use an example that Adam Carolla likes to use. Um, when he talks about their relationship, um, he basically describes it as, you know, you you need to deliver a message, but you have to get people sometimes to laugh beforehand. And he kind of compares it to when your dog is sick. And you need to give your dog medicine. You can't just feed a dog, you know, the pill. The dog won't eat the pill. You have to crush it up and you have to wrap it in hamburger meat. And the way he describes it is: Dennis Prager is the pill, and Adam Carolla is the hamburger meat. And and so that's kind of a, a funny example of how these guys operate. Adam will make you laugh, and we find that uh, when people laugh, they're just much more open to listening, much more open to to hearing what you have to say, what what ideas you're bringing forth if you can just get them to laugh a little bit. So having humor in the film was important to us, obviously with a guy like Carolla, the guy's just never not funny. Um, And so that was a real asset to have sort of the comedy of Adam Carolla, but also just the the sage wisdom of Dennis Prager.
1: Yeah. The movie is out in select theaters now. We'll share more about how it's expanding, but so far either with film festivals or college screenings or even those initial uh, screenings in Phoenix, any reactions that caught you by surprise or, I mean, you could expect people being angry, people being frustrated, people being glad this message is getting out there, but what, anything else that has sort of bubbled up so far that you maybe didn't see coming?
2: Yeah, there's a one, one thing, and I'm actually proud of this. Um, we've done a number of these promotional screenings showing the film to people, and I've gotten a very, very strong reaction from people that are self-described liberals. Um, one woman in particular, she's a registered Democrat, she's a school teacher, and she was at one of our promotional screenings just recently, it was actually the one here in Denver, and she was just so excited about this movie, and um, it, it just struck me as like that, you know, that that we did our job, we really wanted to make a film that went outside the bubble, we just didn't want to do a film that only conservatives would like, We we felt like this issue is so important. And we wanted to make sure that it got outside the bubble so that people, no matter what their political leanings are, that they hear our story, they see our story and they understand these issues because we feel like they're fundamental issues. They're not partisan issues. And so for me, the reaction from people that are self-described liberals that really, really enjoy our film, it's very much uh, something I'm proud of. It's a, a reaction that we are shooting for, but we didn't know if we'd get there or not. And I'm very reassured that um, that it's happening, that uh, we're getting that reaction. Uh,
1: this is sort of a, uh, maybe even an awkward question, but one of the things I've noticed, I've read a few reviews of the film, and some were positive, some were mm-hmm. negative, but it, the negative ones intrigued me in that it wasn't them saying, I didn't like the pacing, I didn't like the cinematography. <laughs> it right. they really disagreed with the message of the film, and I think that they often blatantly ignored the facts that are lined up for the viewer. What's your take on that? I mean, I'm going to mention the AV Club. It's, it's I guess, part of the uh, the Onion media universe. And they're, they're a very left of center site. But you would think that people being shouted down on a college campus would cut through any sort of tribalism, any sort of my side versus your side, but not really. As an artist, as someone who has worked in Hollywood, as someone, you know, who directed
2: this movie what's your take on that um you know it's an interesting question you never know what you're going to get with these critics um obviously not everybody is going to like your movie and you never know where people are coming from when they're when they're going in to do a review of your film what kind of person they are just what they're dealing with in life in terms of the av um uh critic you know i i I don't know. They have a track record now, and I kind of expect that sort of review from them. Um, I guess when you're so entrenched dogmatically in, in what you believe and, and you sort of, you've picked your side, you, you really can't be open to it. It's kind of, I guess what our film talks about to a certain degree, but when you're so entrenched in this stuff that you can't even rise above it to kind of see what's going on or hear other points of view, yeah, it's a, it's a bad spot to be in. And unfortunately, I think a lot of these, a lot of, a lot of people in our society are like that. They've, they're on, they have their team. Everybody on the other side is evil, no matter what. And there really isn't any, um, you know, space for nuance or, um, you know, gray areas or areas that, that maybe we can find common ground. And so, you know, in, in the case of the AV club, you know, obviously when we do when we, when Dennis Prager is the star of the movie, I don't know if, you know, he could, you know, the reviewer could bring themselves to admit that there was anything worthwhile in our movie, even if there was. Yeah,
1: they actually were. They were gunning for your movie before it came out. I've read interviews when I guess the first was it when the first announced the the A.V. Club's take was immediately <laughs> negative. Um, you know, I know the movie's out it's in the can as they say and it's been that way for a while you have to wrap up a film but I almost feel like this is the kind of movie where you could continually update it which is maybe not a a good thing because there's so many different things happening in the culture do you as a storyteller want to continue this in some way either online a YouTube series or an extension maybe you know Blu-ray extras when it comes out in a few months I was kind of curious just it feels like it's almost incomplete by nature and it's not the film's fault it's just the culture's fault
2: Right. Uh, one of the members of our team, John Sullivan, um, who helped us uh, a lot with this story. And, of course, he's directed other films in the past. He did the first two Dinesh D'Souza movies. And he had an interesting thing to say about making a film like this, a documentary, is you never actually finish it. You just abandon it. <laughs> and And that's sort of the case here. I mean, there's so many things that you could focus on. And the story goes on, obviously, with what's going on today nowadays with comedians and cancel culture. Um, this could be a mini series if we really wanted it to be, um, ultimately we want to get this thing out there and and let culture kind of do its thing. Um, I will say though, it's a nice segue, um, that you've kind of, uh, offered me here, but we do have a lot of extra material. Um, when we filmed this movie, we did several live events. We did a, a comedy round table that featured Tim Allen and Adam Carolla and a number of other great comedians. Um, these conversations are, you know, they take place and, you know, they're over an hour long, most of them. And so we have some really interesting stuff that didn't make the final cut because you can only put so much in a 90 minute film. And so we're looking forward to releasing these longer form conversations. We had Adam Carolla talking to Jordan Peterson in a great interview, uh, Dave Rubin and Dennis Prager, um, and several live events with Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager that we want to get out there for people to see. And it's just, you know, there's just more to the story and I think these other pieces of content that we'll probably have available on iTunes or somewhere else that people can can watch them, um, can get a little bit more, just got to dig a little deeper, I guess. Mm,
1: yeah. Uh, the movie is hitting theaters at a really interesting time in the culture. Uh, Bill Burr has a special on Netflix which talks about these issues. Dave Chappelle is <laughs> nonstop talking about First Amendment, free speech, free expression, the chill he feels And he's essentially the best of the best right now. Is there sort of a zeitgeist happening here? Or do you think that uh, it'll take much more than your film and these other comedians to kind of help kind of turn the the culture around?
2: Well, I definitely I certainly hope that our film makes a difference. And I will say that I think comedians tend to be the ones that always lead the way when there needs to be uh, a radical shift. Comedians are the fearless ones Are the ones that go out and say it when no one else uh, will say it. And guy like, you know, guys like uh, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, and even Adam Carolla, thankful he's in our film, but I don't know if you saw his roast of Alec Baldwin. Um, Same thing. He would just, he just eviscerated this, this whole idea of cancel culture and safe spaces. And, and uh, it is, it is the comedians that usually lead the way. And, and we're seeing that happening. so, it's it's very good timing, I guess, for our film. Um, but this is happening in front of our in in front of our faces, and um, I mean, I, I agree. I just just think Chappelle is is just an American treasure, and what he has to say right now is so important. And for all the people that really don't realize how bad things are, it takes a guy like that to really wake people up and and tell them um, what's going on. So thank thank goodness for guys like Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr. Comedians because they they tend to they're they're the first ones to sp- to speak truth when we really need it.
1: Yeah, actually, I recently rewatched Lenny, the nineteen seventies movie with Dustin Hoffman, and seeing police officers in the back of the room waiting to arrest him for saying the wrong word, I'm thinking yeah. well, now it's the people in the crowd who're looking to whip out their cell phone and, and get you in trouble anyway. It's sort of the it's- times have changed but they haven't one last question for you uh justin what what's next for you i know you're kind of knee-deep in this project promoting it getting the word out but do you have other directorial efforts lined up other other similar ventures on the horizon
2: i have some ideas i'm mostly focused on getting no safe spaces out there and making it successful so spending a lot of time doing that right now but you know i love i love narrative storytelling i love uh, you know um films like uh you know, where you have a script and actors, and you tell a story. Um, I didn't really necessarily think of myself as a documentary filmmaker, but um, I try to approach—I try to approach making this particular film as a narrative filmmaker, and that's why we have a lot of the reenactments and other things in, in there. So I'll probably be looking for another project that involves a little bit more narrative storytelling. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but uh, I'm very excited about this, and mostly focused on. Trying to get just as many people as possible to see No Safe Spaces.
1: Yeah, well, I've been uh,
2: I've been waving the flag and raising my arms and ringing the bell for this movie, and I'll
1: continue to do so because it's that good, it's that important. Justin, thank you for joining the Hitcast. The new movie, of course, is No Safe Spaces. Playing in select theaters right now, going wide November 15th, but if you want to find out if it's playing in a theater near you, go to nosafespaces.com for all the theater details. You've got Denver, you've got San Diego. It's coming soon. It's coming near you. Please check it out. And also, um... You know, tell a friend, spread the word, go on social media. If you enjoy it, that's the way it works. That word of mouth is essential when you don't have a massive studio and a, and a marketing machine behind you. That intimate word of mouth power is everything. So check it out. It's important. It's a good movie. And uh, wish you all the best. Congratulations on it. And uh, we'll talk to you again for other projects.
2: Thank you, Christian. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out hollywoodandtoto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter, at Hollywood and Toto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week.
0: You know what this is. A commercial. Right. And you know what that means. <laughs> Time for a snack. Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight, one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure.